Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. It's good to see you guys. How are you today? Good to see you. Doing well? Fantastic. Can you turn these lights up just a little bit more house lights so I can see these wonderful people? Well, I wanted to say thank you for letting me get away and for all the people that held down the fort. We have a wonderful team here at Cornerstone Church. Uh, last week I enjoyed uh, just visiting a friend in Georgia. I hadn't seen him in a couple years and so it was good to hang out there. I tell you, it, I, I uh, have come uh, back with a newfound appreciation for the dry heat that we have here. Uh, they have a very, very humid heat. And so, um, I, as I have told a couple people, if you're cutting weight, you know, you're trying to get in shape for something, it's a good place to be. But don't expect to, uh, uh, you know, get ready for the day and stay ready for the day. It's kind of a hot and humid, sweaty place. But I did enjoy that. It was good connecting with you guys uh, in the special business meeting via video chat. I really appreciate all who stayed uh, for that and uh, elected, re-elected some gentlemen to our board that would kind of just bring some stability as we've had a few people uh, moving. Actually, Tom and Lisa are here today. Thank you, Tom and Lisa, once again for all that you've done, not only as board members and in the various ministries, but we pray your blessings as you move forward. The word on the street is they might be back to get their stuff. Kind of need to get your stuff. So maybe we'll cross paths again, but with that, we, we wish you the best. Um, let me just pause for a moment in case you weren't in the special business meeting. Just to I think it's important um, to just kind of hear, even in just very briefly, uh, the, the story of Cornerstone Church, especially if you're, you're new here. But I, I find that periodically it's good, whether it be in our marriages or with our children or, or in our own lives or here at church, to tell our story once in a while. Just It reminds us kind of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. I, personally, I think that is a huge part of being a leader. And so as you think about Cornerstone Church, it was started as a church plant about 25 years ago, I believe, out of Aurora First Assembly. It has had three pastors in that time. I am the third pastor. Um, 12 years and I believe the other of eight. So I guess that would be about 22 years, actually. Um, it, this used to be the post office. This used to be a post office. And Jason was telling me that there used to be a wall right down the center there. Is that correct? There used to be a wall there. So if you were sitting behind that pole, you'd be like looking through this huge window or something. So I'm kind of glad we got rid of that. Um, About two years ago, I received a call. My wife and I received a call from the board to come and and be the pastor. And, you know, at first I said no because I was on the the way to becoming a principal. I was enrolled in the doctoral program at Michigan State and just kind of going down that path. But then I couldn't sleep. You know, I just felt like the Lord really tugging at my heart. And we came and we visited twice. And then when you guys voted us in, we went home packed in like 10 days and came. And so we were here by August August 1st. When we came, there was about uh, 50 of the most awesome, capable, intelligent people left from, uh, I think, a peak of around... 
I hear different numbers, but I'm just going to say probably 220, 240, probably about four or five years ago. Um, someone correct me if I'm wrong in that, but the, looking at the attendance records, it was north of 200. Yes, 350. Nice. Well, it, as it kind of wound down there, um, it, we came in, there was about 50, 50 people. And since that time, we have been reestablishing uh, key leadership positions, uh, essential ministries, refurbishing, decluttering the, the, the church. Um, and we've hit a peak in the last two years, right about Christmas time. We had about 100, anywhere from 115 to 125 people who called Cornerstone Church their home. And so we saw an increase of anywhere from 55 to 65, depending on how you counted it. In the last uh, six months, we have uh, had several families, several very involved families actually move on, get jobs, move, as is Tom and Lisa and various other couples. Um, and so we are down now to probably right around 75, 85. Okay, so that's still 20 to 30 north of where we started two years ago, um, but a little down from our peak in December. And so while that could make us discouraged, I have a lot of hope for Cornerstone Church. Uh, just some of the things that God has been doing uh, in the past two years. Um, we just recently finished up. If somebody noticed today, they walked in and said, wow, this sidewalk looks fantastic. You know, and they even paved the street in front of the church. This looks wonderful. You know, and so we've been, uh, we just finished, I guess what I would say, the, the last refurb uh, project, and that was that sidewalk in the parking lot. Someone has given us a brand new uh, digital soundboard within the last month or so that that will be installed before Labor Day. That was on kind of on our, our Christmas list, I guess you'd say, and it just kind of came to us. And I think that's anywhere from four to $6,000, depending on how you count it. And that was given to us. And so the Lord has been providing for us. Another person has stepped forward and says, you know, I really want to sponsor a community uh, outreach. Like an, and so what it has come to be, uh, known as is like the end of the summer barbecue, and that's going to be September 8th. And so we come back after resting and reconnecting this summer. We need to take a deep breath because we've been working so hard the last year. Um, but we'll come back post-Labor Day with a vengeance, um, inviting 5,000 homes in Parker. Um, we're hoping for a one half to 1% return rate. This doesn't sound like much, but that's anywhere from 75 to 150 people uh, to our end of summer picnic. And so with that, we should see uh, capacity as far as parking lot and attendance is concerned that day. Our hope, I'll shoot you straight, is probably about 30 to 40 of those people stay, okay? Which is probably right around a quarter percent return rate on our investment in that picnic. So there's plans. Not only that, but with a night of worship and coming back into the season of outreach and just full swing with youth and some other programs that we're working on. There's a lot to be excited about. And so I want to give you a heads up because like we have a picnic next week and then my family will be gone the next two weeks. I'm leaving you in good hands. We have a, uh, one of our district uh, presbyters is coming to speak on the 14th, Randy Pompano, very good guy longtime pastor, and then Pastor John will be preaching on the 21st. And so I'm leaving you in good hands, just kind of letting you know where we are uh, as we are kind of in this vacation season, not only with myself, but several families in the church. How many of you are following me this morning? 
Amen. Okay, I just kind of wanted to give you set a little vision and kind of let you know where we're where we're go, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So, um, today we're continuing this series, actually wrapping it up, called "Chosen: Finding Our Identity in Christ." And we are here at this last last sermon in the series called "God Calls Us." God calls us. And so, when I was thinking about uh, a calling, uh, immediately my mind went to phone calls, and I started thinking, what are some of the most important life-changing phone calls I've ever received. Because we all receive, you know, several calls each day, some that we're excited about, some we're not so excited about, like the telemarkers that seem to call right when you're taking your first bite of dinner, right? Those guys, we hate those guys, okay? And if you're one of those guys, I'm sorry, but we hate you, okay? <laughs> Just don't call at dinner time, man, right? But some, there are some calls that change our lives. And as I started thinking back, I thought of three. I thought of, as I mentioned before, when the church called me. And man, what a life change that was. Moving from West Michigan, leaving the beach behind and coming here to the mountains and coming here to be uh, your lead pastor. That was awesome. I think about uh, the very first time I talked to my wife on the phone uh, and asked her for, the, for that, this first date. Um, it was like de- December of 2002. December of 2002, I had just become a teacher, and at, at my school, we had this singing Christmas tree. It's like a 60-foot people Christmas tree that sings. It's really cool, actually. And I had front row seats, and I needed a date. And they were trying to hook me up with, like, other teachers, older teachers from school. I'm, like, 23 years old. I'm, like, no. You know, I'm not doing this. This is crazy. But I had bumped into Jamie at church, and I didn't really think of anything of it at the moment, but I couldn't stop thinking about her, right? And I asked I called her up, and she's driving home from work. We talked for like 45 minutes while she's driving, and I finally asked her to come and go to the singing Christmas tree with me, and she did. She drove three hours to come on that first date with me. And so I told her, I said, just please forgive me if I have SDS. You know what SDS is, right? Single guy syndrome. SGS, sorry. Single guy syndrome. I had to apologize since I was getting back in. It had been a while since I had dated. And so she came. And that was the end of the story. A couple weeks later, I was talking to her about getting married and the rest is history. Other important phone calls I thought of was I remember where I was when I got my first teaching job. I was standing at, in, right in the, underneath the Risinga Building Center sign Inside, there's a, a, a checkout lane. With a, that's where we took our external phone calls as employees. And I remember getting called up from the lumberyard. This was a great summer job. Anybody work in a lumberyard before? I loved working in the lumberyard. I just like throwing wood around and like the smell of wood. It was very manly, you know, sawdust. It was like, I wish they had a cologne, like a sawdust cologne, where I could just <laughs> spray myself with sawdust, you know. Power tool smell. I loved it. It was fantastic. And so I was there, and I remember Bill Trujillo, the principal of Mona Shores High School, calling me and saying, hey, we want you to become be our, uh, be our physics teacher. We're really excited to have you. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, come. And so I was there, and I, that was the, the end of the, the lumber day, stuff, uh, which is a very fond memory. But, you know, what about you? Can you remember some life-changing phone calls? How many of you can think of one right now? You can think of a life-changing phone call. And I'm going to give you a chance in a few minutes to share that phone call experience and tell others about it. But you know, 
Even though we could hear these inspiring, feel-good stories um, that ushered in these new, wonderful seasons of life, no call we could receive from any other person can compare with the impact that God's call has on our life. I mean, can you think about the very first time you heard the Lord calling to you, the very first time you heard the Lord's voice speak to you in your heart, and and you, you knew it was the Lord, you knew he was calling to you, and how amazing that was. You see, before we knew the Lord, our lives had a sense of darkness and emptiness to them. And yet the Lord came, he called us out of that place and into a new abundant life. And so today as we continue this series, we're going to learn that God calls us all in at least two major ways. Peter talks about us, or talks to us about two major ways that God calls us. The first is that God calls us to be a part of his special people. And then once we are part of his special people, he calls us to show his goodness to others. And with that comes this higher standard of living, as I'll show you in just a few minutes. So please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 9. Stand with me, if you would, just out of respect for God's word. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. I'm sure uh, Brother Jim will bring you a, a Bible. And if you don't have one of your own, just keep it. Consider a gift from Cornerstone Church. Let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And we're going to read towards, to the end of this chapter here. So he says, But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. He's speaking to Christians. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Verse 13, for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority whether the king has had a state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that, you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Verse 18, you who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Verse 22, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he was suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have returned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Thank you for standing with me. You may be seated. And so look at verse 9 with me here. Talking about God calls us, okay? And first thing I want you to think about is where is the darkest place you have ever been? Where's the darkest place you have ever been? Like literal darkness. I remember when I was young, probably seven or eight, 
um, my parents took my brother and I um, to a cave in the Appalachian Mountains. And I don't think it was mammoth caves, but there's a ton of caves down there. And they took us in and, and down like this long, long, long stairway into the caves. And I remember the tour guide mentioning to me, and, and in my memory, she had kind of a sinister tone. And although I know that that's not true, this is how it felt at the time. She just remembered saying to me, you know, if the lights went out, you'd eventually go blind searching for light. And so since that time, like I've never forgot that and I've never visited a cave. I'm pretty much cave free, okay? And somehow that just, I don't even remember the name of the cave. I just remember this lady telling me that I was going to go blind if the lights went out. I would be scratching the walls and trying to search for it. It was so, oh, such a brutal, brutal uh, uh, picture there. I thank her for really impacting me as a child. Um, and so... Uh, you know, when I think about darkness and what Peter's saying here, and God called us out of darkness, what he's teaching us is that prior to expressing faith in Christ, each of us were in the dark. This wasn't a physical darkness. It was uh, not like something we experienced in a cave, but it was a spiritual darkness. It was a relational darkness, a darkness between God and I and between uh, God, us and other people. We were alienated from the light of God. And so prior to the fall of man. Everyone was in the light. Everyone was part of God's special people that he talks about. Granted, there was only two, Adam and Eve, right? But they were there. They were with God in his light. But with their sinful choice, it took them and everyone that came from them out of the light and into the darkness, out of, of fellowship with God into this alienation with God. And so by default now, we are born into the darkness, into the spiritual darkness. We're born on a losing team, if you will. First Peter 1.18, if you want to glance across the page, Peter says, we had an empty life that we inherited. We inherited this from our ancestors. And so we were in darkness. But he goes on and he says that God paid a ransom He's paid a ransom to save us from this empty life. See, from the beginning, God had plans to recreate his group of special people, his team, if you will. But to do so, he had to ransom us from the darkness. Without a ransom, we would stay in the darkness permanently. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, if you glance across again, Peter says that God paid that ransom. With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You see, at some point in eternity past, before mankind was created, God knew that humanity was going to need to be ransomed from death. He knew that they would need a Savior and chose Jesus to pay that ransom with his life. Psalm 49, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, Psalm 49, verses 7 to 9, is an amazing uh, set of scriptures because it teaches us that no one could ever pay enough, enough money. No one could ever do enough to redeem a soul from death in order to live eternally. See, God set a price on a soul. And redeeming a sinful soul required that a perfect soul be sacrificed. And so God chose Jesus, that, that perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to pay that price one time to redeem all of humanity. Now, why was Jesus willing to do this? Why was he willing to do this? Because you and I 
are extremely valuable to him. You and I, our value, if you remember back from the very first sermon in this series I preached, that your value, your worth, my value, my worth, does not depend on another person's choice. Naturally, when we're not getting picked, we start to question, wow, why am I not getting picked? Why am I continuing to get passed over? Uh, You know, these girls I like, or these guys I like, you know, he's like, why I can't find a spouse, or why can't uh, I find that job that I really want, or this or that, why is someone not picking me, what's wrong with me? Initially, we start to, we start to question our value and question our worth, but what Peter is teaching us is that our worth and our value does not come from the, another person's choice, it comes from the fact that God sent Jesus, and Jesus was willing to come and give his life for you and I. How many of you are glad that Jesus came and gave his life, and that ultimately your worth is determined by that choice? And so we see God ransoms us from this empty life. He calls us into his marvelous light. Look back at verse 9. You are not like that. You're a royal priest. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so now, when we express faith in Christ, God chooses us to become a part of his special team, his special people. We stepped out of the darkness and into the light. You might remember I mentioned, just picture everybody in the entire world lined up against the, the playground wall, if you will. Bring us back to our days in elementary school when we're picking up teams and there's captains right? And everybody's posing and pretending and trying to make themselves an, as an attractive pick as possible. And Christ kind of, he passes over all the posers and all the pretenders and all the, the people who are pretentious. And he waits and he looks for those who express faith in the redemptive work of Jesus. And when they do, he says, you, you're on my team. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you drive, where you live, who your circle of friends is. None of that determines his choice. And subsequently, none of that determines your identity. You see, what defined you in the darkness when you were a pretentious poser no longer defines you when you step into God's light because when you are standing before God, he's not going not to line people up in heaven and say, well, you, you live in a very nice neighborhood. Why don't you step over here and, you know, uh, you know, you wear socks with sandals. I'm sorry, you have to kind of scoot down the line, okay? Uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. He doesn't do any of that, okay? He, it's only by our faith in Christ. And so long as our faith in Christ does not change, our identity as one of his special people no longer changes. And so he continues. Look at verse 10. Peter says, God shows you mercy. He shows you mercy when you act like a child of the darkness, when I act like a child of the darkness, he doesn't just unchoose us and kick us off his team immediately. He coaches us. He's patient with us. How many of you are so glad that God doesn't kick you off your, his team every single time you, you do something? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and through 16, Peter encourages us. With this in mind, as one of God's special people, he says... Live as obedient children. Do not slip back into your old ways of living. God, listen, God has called you out of the darkness. Don't go back living like you are actually in the darkness. You're one of God's chosen people. You're a royal priest. You're part of his holy nation. And so what does he say? Be holy as God is holy. And so we see 
in these verses, verses 9 and 10, and a few here scattered throughout chapter 1, we see that God has called us all in one major way. He's called us out of the darkness and into his light. He's called us to join and become one of his special people. When we express faith in Christ, all of that occurs. And that is the greatest, most impactful call any of us could ever receive. How many of you are thank you, thankful God has called you out of that darkness? Amen. So am I. And so I want to give you a chance right now to stand, stretch, and share. Okay? And I want you to share with those around you just a quick little story about the most impactful or memorable phone call you have ever received. Where were you? What was the call about? And how did you respond? I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to do that. So stand up on your feet. Find someone around you and share that story. When you see the lights dim and the music fade, come on back to your seats and I'll finish up the sermon. give you about 10 seconds to wrap those stories and then we'll finish up here awesome praise the lord i love hearing stories what a variety of stories i just heard some uh really feel good stories some scary stories like man phone calls that that change our lives that we remember. Um, you know, when you think about calls, there's no greater call that we could receive except the one that comes from the Lord, inviting us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So now that we're standing in God's marvelous light, what purpose does God have for us? And Peter uh, takes the rest of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 to talk about that. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go all the way through uh, chapter 3, but I would encourage you to uh, take a look at that for yourselves because he talks, if we look in order here, in starting in chapter 2, verse 11, he talks to us about our neighbors, continues in talking about our leaders, how can we can show God's goodness to our neighbors, to our leaders, to our bosses. Then he comes in, going to chapter 3, talks to the wives, how they can show goodness to God's goodness to their husbands. Husbands, how they can show God's goodness to their wives. Then lastly, chapter 3, verse 8, he starts talking to all Christians. And so we need to keep uh, what is written in context and try to see the bigger picture, which is why I will... Uh, always uh, tend to be an expository preacher. I like going verse by verse. I like people to see the bigger picture like this. And it also gives me a chance to, to just kind of breach topics as they come up. And so let's see how we can do on time here. And uh, we'll get to a couple of them today. Let's start with how does God want us to show his goodness to our neighbors? Look at verse 11 again. Look at verse 11. 11 through just 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. There it is. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And when we think about neighbors, who, uh, who are the worst neighbors you've ever had? You know, maybe they like don't mow their lawn, they don't take their trash out, you know, they're yelling, they're fighting all night. They've got wild parties and just things like that. Maybe they steal your stuff. 
Ever have a neighbor that steals your stuff? No, I, fortunately, I've, I mean, I've heard some horror stories. I know Jamie was telling me about some pretty, pretty raunchy neighbors she had in, in college, and, uh, like dorm mates next door, like having to share bathrooms with pigs and stuff like that, you know, just really, really. How many of you have college stories like that? Yes, <laughs> you're like, I see the pain. I see the pain. I can anoint you with oil if you want in a few minutes. We can pray over you. God can take care of that, brother. Well, you know, when we think about neighbors, the first thing Peter says here as far as showing our neighbors God's goodness, look what he says. Keep away from worldly desires. He says, take care of yourself first. Because, listen, your neighbor, he's not going to see or she's not going to see God's goodness in your life if you're all wrapped up with these worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Those worldly desires, he mentions a few in chapter 4, he talks about immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, uh, worship of, terrible worship of idols, etc. Like a, a flood of destructive behaviors. If that is our lifestyle, especially if we're professing Christians, God's goodness is going to be very much masked in our lives, and others are not going to see that. And so he says, as far as your neighbors are concerned, take care of yourself first. Why? He says, live properly, or so that you can live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now that, that phrase, live properly, it refers to a beautiful life. He, Peter's saying, listen, you can show God's goodness to your neighbors by having this beautiful life, this beauty that comes from a purity of heart is what it actually refers to. And so when our hearts, when our lives are pure, we cannot help but have a beautiful life that others will admire. And so our unbelieving neighbors, they won't recognize it as God's goodness, but they will look at you, they will look at me, and they will see something about us that makes us different. And they will be attracted to it. They will want to know more about that. And so he says, first of all, listen, God's called you, yes, to be one of his special people, to come onto his team. But now you are in the light. Here's what God wants you to do to prove that you are children of the light. Here's how he wants you to interact with your unbelieving neighbors. Take care of yourself first. Live properly. They will admire that. They will see God's goodness and it's all of its uh, a vibrancy in your life and they will be attracted to it. So that's the very first thing. The second thing he mentions, go down to verse 13. He says, For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. And so in these next few verses, he talks about showing goodness to your leaders. Now, who did you vote for in the last election? And by election, I, I'm thinking of all sorts of elections, right? Not just a presidential election, but voting for our governor, voting for the mayor or our city officials or judges. There's all sorts of elections that we have every two years here and there, you know? And you know, there's a chance in every election that the person we vote for does not get elected. And so, what Peter, what came to my mind as I'm looking through this and reading these verses is I'm thinking, how do we as Christians respond when the person that we voted for did not get elected? You know, naturally, I mean, I'm, I can read the news or hear stories and, and I see people like call in sick to work. They cancel appointments. Their hearts are so broken. They, they mourn via social media. They, they protest in the streets. They like... They pout really big, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, listen, 
it's, it's not just in recent elections, but it's in previous elections. And naturally, this is how the people of the world respond. But it does that, is that the behavior that, that we as Christians should have? Does that, look at he says, for the Lord's sake, does that kind of behavior advance the Lord's cause? I don't think so. As, a, as your pastor, I would say no. I don't think so. It doesn't mean, if you read through these verses, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything that your leader, you fill in the blank of who that leader is. It doesn't mean you agree with everything they stand for, everything they say. It doesn't even mean you have to like them as, as people. Think about who he's writing to. Peter is writing to Christians in Asia Minor who are living under the uh, Roman Empire. They're reporting to wicked evil, vile people who are lighting up Christians on torches, right? And he's writing to them, listen, respect all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he appointed. And so he's, I believe what he's saying is here, listen, you and I, we might not respect who our leaders are personally, but for the Lord's sake, we should respect their position. It's a positional respect. We honor the office. And so when somebody is elected that we don't necessarily agree with, we still respect their office. And there is a, an appropriate and proper way to express our disagreements, to stand up for what we believe is right and so forth, okay? And so, uh, again, you got, this is why I love expository preaching because this is, I just kind of take things as they come up, okay? You guys have been with me for two years. I don't think I've ever mentioned anything about politics. I just kind of take things as they come up. And so he's saying here, look at the last thing he says in verse 17. Fear God and respect the king. Fear God and respect the king. Honor their position. Why? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Keep in mind, where does our primary identity come from? Does it come from our political platform? No. It comes from our association with Christ. And so... We need to make sure that we are honoring and advancing the Lord's kingdom first and foremost before we advance any political platform, no matter what end of the spectrum you are on. Okay, so he talks two things. He talks, listen, you are called, yes, to be one of God's special people. This is the source of your, your identity. And as one of God's special people, prove that you are a children of light by showing his goodness. This is God's greater purpose for you. Show his goodness, one, to your neighbors, two, to the people. Uh, to the leaders, um, and lastly, to your bosses. He calls in verse 18, he says, you who are slaves, right? Slaves, <laughs> it's kind of funny because in modern times, this would, be, this would be like employees. We would translate it like employees, right? How many of you as employees feel like slaves sometimes? <laughs> it's awful, it's awful. You know, one of my favorite business books is called Good Boss, Bad Boss by Robert Sutton. He's a pre uh, uh, professor at Stanford. Um, and he, he just talks about, he wrote this book primarily because he has found in his studies, like as a consultant, that there are far more bad bosses than there are good bosses, unfortunately. And so I can tell you more about that book if you're interested after service. But, you know, as I was thinking about bosses, I was thinking, who was the worst boss I've ever had? Who's the worst boss you have ever had? I see some of your eyes twitching like... You know, you're like having a spasm here. <laughs> Who is the worst boss you've ever had? Have you ever found yourself, you get up for work, you're like, you do your devotions, you're like, 
praying, you're close to the Lord, you like, you get ready, your hair looks good, everything's, man, you're dressed, you're styling, you get in the car, and as you start to think about where you're going and that that boss is waiting for you, your mood starts to sour, and you just start to like, get this, your eyebrows furrow, like you're doing right there, your eyebrows furrow, and by the time you walk in there, you're just all grumpy, and like every bit of closeness with God is gone, you know what I mean? You know, when you have a bad boss, you want to respond in one of two ways. You either want to confront them and slap them, or you want to quit. But does slapping your boss or quitting, does that really advance God's kingdom? Is that a way that you show God's goodness? I can say certainly slapping them would not, although some of them could use a good slap now and again, right? But Peter's greater concern is, how do you show God's goodness to your boss? Look at what he says. He says, you who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all, all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. And so he is saying, listen, one way you can show your boss God's goodness is by respecting their position. Again, we come back to this idea of positional respect. Even though you don't respect them as a person, even though they're a terrible boss, even though they're cruel, like Peter says here, when you will advance God's kingdom, you will show God's goodness to them when you continue to do what they ask you to do, endure whatever abuse that they are giving you when you endure it patiently. Do you have to endure it indefinitely? I don't think so. I do think there's a place when you move on, right? Obviously, there's a place when you move on. But work is one of the most common places where this suffering occurs. I think, one, because we spend so much time there. And I think, two, because it's very competitive, right? And you're working alongside unbelievers and Christians all in the same place. And, you know, Mark Twain once said that, I'm going to make sure I get this right, he said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Has that ever been true in your life? Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. And so some of the persecution you might be receiving, some of the flack you might be getting from your boss might simply because your good example is standing in such contrast to his bad example that it bothers him or it bothers her. And you know what? that's going to be a source of persecution. And yet, what does Peter say? He says, God is pleased when you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently. For God called you. Again, God calls us. What did he call us to do? He called us to do good, even if it means suffering. Guys, in this uh, world of consumer Christianity, consumer Christianity, this is a very unpopular message because consumer Christians, they want to come to church and they want to hear about the blessings of God. They want a good self-help talk, essentially, right? And they don't want to hear that being a Christian sometimes will involve suffering. In fact, look what Peter says. I want you all to read it with me. Look at verse 21. God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you might follow in his footsteps. Is that what it says? What does it say? You must follow in his footsteps. He never sinned. 
He never deceived anyone. That tells me he always did good. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. There's the slapping. You know, there's the getting back. There's the vengeful attitude. You can't do this to me. You, you can't treat me like this. But look at what he says. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. He suffered for doing good so that you and I could follow in his footsteps, continue to do good, and it will mean suffering at some point. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. I think that's a reference back to God. Listen, God has called you out of that darkness, out of that wandering way into his marvelous light. He has made you a part of his team. He is like a good shepherd, a guardian. He is watching over your soul and he is calling you and I to now respond just like Jesus did, to show God's goodness to those who may, probably won't. Sometimes they really, really will return our evil or our good with evil. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? It's frustrating. It's hard to deal with. And yet this is what God calls us to. Today as we uh, wrap up, I hope it's been a blessing to you. We, we're talking about the calling that God has on our lives. He's got at least two callings. The first, he calls us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. The second, he calls us to show his goodness. I've given you three. Peter has given us three uh, types of relationships that we can uh, show God's goodness. One, to our neighbors. Two, to our leaders. And lastly, to our bosses. With that, would you stand and pray today? Thank you. I'm just a couple minutes over normal. Hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Pray with me today. Father God, I just thank you so much that you have shown goodness to us. Lord, you sent, you sent Jesus to die for us when we hated you. You showed us more good than anyone has ever shown us when we returned your goodness with evil. Lord, we didn't realize, realize it at the time, but you were making a way for us to come out of that darkness, to come into that renewed relationship with you and find the strength to renew relationship with others. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today, Lord, that doesn't know you or anybody listening to the podcast that doesn't know you, I pray that they would hear your voice calling to them, calling them out of that dark place into your marvelous light. Father, we thank you so much that you have called us as followers of Christ. And now give us the fortitude, give us the, the, uh, the strength to make that choice, to follow in your footsteps, even if it means suffering for doing good. Lord, help us with our neighbors, help us with our leaders, help us with our bosses. Lord, we need you. We need you. Lord, we just need your Holy Spirit to empower us. In Jesus' name. And I pray a special blessing over every person as they go. Give us a wonderful, wonderful Independence Week. God, as we just celebrate our freedom. Lord, as we gather again next Sunday for that picnic. God, just give us an amazing, amazing week of rest and strength. Bless these people. Bless the speakers that are coming in over the next couple weeks. Bless my family as we're gone traveling. Lord, we look to you. And we're excited for the great things you have for Cornerstone Church here towards the end of the summer. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. You're loved. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that his truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. 
we invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.